John Rees, thanks so much for joining us on the Indie Media Show. Over the course of the last year, and perhaps especially over the course of the last few weeks, there have been an astounding number of twists and turns in the saga that is Britain's attempt to leave the European Union. It makes for a mesmerising and, in some perverse sense, even an entertaining spectacle. But amid all the chaos and uncertainty of the machinations in Parliament, it's proved exceedingly difficult to get a firm grasp on the politics of what is taking place beyond the day-to-day developments. Let's start with the latest development and try to read, as it were, the political tea leaves. Why is Boris Johnson hell-bent on attempting to call a snap election? And why did Labor leader Jeremy Corbyn reject the opportunity to go to the polls? Okay, so um, the fundamental thing to understand about this crisis is that the entirety uh, of corporate Britain wants to be in the European Union. 99 out of the FT Stock Exchange 100 firms wants to be in Europe. They can usually get their way in politics because they have a designated party which represents them, the Tory party. But the Tory party has been taken over by a group of hardline right-wingers who want to get out of the European Union. That wouldn't be such a problem for the establishment if they could do what they normally do, which is to rely on a right-wing Social Democrat party, the Labour Party, um, to take over and to get them to where they want to be. But that route is blocked because Jeremy Corbyn is a left-wing leader, the first ever radical left-wing leader of the Labour Party, and they desperately don't want him to be Prime Minister. So they're in a hole. Boris is in a crisis because the Tory party is split, because he doesn't command a majority at the polls, and therefore has to go to the population to get a new mandate in a general election. The Labour Party now is being squeezed by its right wing and by the other opposition parties into prioritising getting a, getting, um, a no-deal exit from the European Union off the agenda. Only then will they perhaps, maybe, go for a general election. So that's what the debate has been about this week. In terms of the broader debate over Brexit, it's one marked by, frankly, bizarre caricatures on both sides. I'm thinking particularly of the left's debates on the merits or otherwise of Brexit, so-called Lexit supporters, meaning those who advocated a principled left-wing leave vote on the basis of rejecting the neoliberal supranational capitalism of the European Union are characterised by their opponents as throwing their lot in with little Englander racists, rebel Brexiteer Tories and Nigel Farage. Left-wing Remain supporters, on the other hand, are dismissed as elite, middle-class, professional types with contempt for both democracy and the working class. Where does the truth lie in all of this recrimination? Faced with such a complex political puzzle to solve, what position should the left hold on Brexit? Well, there's no doubt about it that it's been a very uh, difficult, uh, rancorous and at times abusive debate. And the fundamental reason for that is because the referendum and everything that's happened since has been framed by two different wings of the Tory party. Um, there wasn't any Labour movement input into how the debate should be framed or how the campaign should be run or even what the question in the referendum uh, should be. 
So uh, the Labour movement as a whole has been asked to take sides um, in, a ba- in a debate framed by a split in the Tory party. That was always going to produce problems. Um, unlike the original referendum in the early 1970s, which took us into the European Union, there was very, very little space for a critical left leave position. I think that position is the correct one for all the reasons that Tony Benn and others used to give back in the day, that the EU is undemocratic, that it's a neoliberal economic project, that it's a racist project. There are, after all, uh, 30,000 dead um, refugees at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea because of the immigration policy of the European Union. Uh, it's the most, the most deadly border in the world, including uh, the Mexican border with the United States. So there are very good left-wing reasons for rejecting the European Union. They didn't get much of a hearing. Um, and neither, by the way, did left-wing remain uh, um, views get much of a hearing in the debate either. And I... You know, I've always said in these discussions, although I voted leave, um, those people who voted remain because they couldn't stand the thought of siding with Farage and uh, with the right-wing Tories. I respect them for taking that decision. I don't like them either. But I do uh, acknowledge the fact, and I think this is important, that you can arrive in a yes or no um, referendum um, at the same conclusion for completely opposite reasons that other people arrive at it. I'm, I'm familiar with this from the Iraq war. Some people on the right, including um, UKIP, um, didn't support the Iraq war, but their reasons were totally different to mine. So I don't take that as a, a fundamental reason for not being in support of leave, that the dominant voices were right-wing voices that wanted leave for completely other reasons. Let's come back to Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of the Labor Party. One could argue his promising, indeed astonishing, early period of leadership where he held firm against the Blairite and centrist wreckers on his own front bench has given way to almost the diversion of Brexit where he has waxed and waned and proven at first reluctant, then downright opposed to mounting any argument against both the neoliberal austerity of the EU and the child milk-stealing Tories, Johnson and Rees-Mogg. How do you currently assess Corbyn's leadership of the Labor Party? Where do you think it is going? Uh, And do you think he has a realistic prospect of winning a general election, assuming one is called soon? Uh, Well, let's just start with that last question first. Yes, I think he does have a a realistic prospect of winning a general election, and um, so does everybody else in politics, um, whether they fear that and detest it or whether they're enthusiastic about it, they acknowledge they had a chance of winning the next general election. Um, So that's that issue. Um, Where's the leadership going? Well, I mean, uh, I've worked closely with Jeremy for 10 years and uh, I think he's held on remarkably well in the face of absolutely torrential, both political and personal uh, abuse. And he's created a debate about socialism among millions of people. At the last election, 13 million people voted for Labour with its most radical manifesto ever under its most left-wing leader ever. And nobody on the left uh, could possibly argue that that hasn't created an environment where socialism is discussed among millions of people in a way that hasn't been for more than a generation. But having said, um, the barriers in the way of a successful government, indeed in the way of a successful election campaign, are enormous. 
um, principally that the majority of uh, Jeremy's parliamentary Labour Party are against him and viciously against him and organised in opposition uh, to him. And that's an enormous, enormous barrier. It's incredibly difficult to fight an election successfully or to run a party successfully with that opposition. And that's before we've got to the opposition that's against him outside the Labour Party in the media, in uh, the governmental apparatus and the political establishment generally. So I think we shouldn't underestimate the, the enormous obstacles that he still faces. And that pressure is taking its toll, no question about that. Finally, John Rees, it's awfully easy to get caught up in the minutiae, admittedly dramatic as it is, of the latest House of Commons vote, the latest resignation on the Tory front bench and so on. Lost amid all of the drama, though, is a wider perspective on what all of this means for the ordinary people of Britain. How does the British left plot a course out of these extraordinary political headwinds in a way which improves the position of the working class in its fight against neoliberal austerity and the general privations of capitalism? Well, there's no question that the the first order of play is a general election which gets rid of the Tory, the Tory government. There are millions of people in this country who are directly and immediately and on an hour-by-hour basis suffering from the Tory-enforced austerity uh, programme. Uh, the poverty figures are at record levels. The people using food banks are at record levels. The people dying um, basically of poverty under the... Um, uh, Department of Work and Pensions benefit scheme uh, are enormous. The health services under uh, catastrophic strain. The education system is broken, and the most immediate um, hope of remedy is that the Tories have conclusively defeated and that majority Labour government under Jeremy Corbyn uh, takes power. But that won't be the end. In fact, it will only be the beginning of matters. Um, uh, that government will be attacked um, from its first day um, with every economic and political and social tool at the disposal of the establishment. If the Labour movement isn't fully and completely mobilised and if extra parliamentary action uh, isn't available to defend that government, then I think it will have a short life um, or a short life as a radical government in a compromising collapsing to more establishment modes and surviving office, but it won't be the government that most people elected at the general election, which I think is inevitable between now and Christmas.